are finishing up here chapter 11, this, this famous chapter in the book of Hebrews, the hall of faith, sometimes it's referred to, um, this, this list of Old Testament characters who had great faith. And uh, it comes as, as encouragement. And we actually find verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12 are really kind of an ending of chapter 11 when the writer wrote Hebrews or preached Hebrews. Some call this a sermon letter. We're not exactly sure. It's a little bit different than uh, most letters. But um, there wasn't a chapter break here. And so we see when therefore comes in chapter 12, verse 1, it is connecting the things that he's been talking about in chapter 11 with these things that he says in chapter 12. And he's encouraging them. He he enters into this this, uh, this illustration of a race. And Paul does this in other places, this idea that we're in in a race. And there's this encouragement as we move forward now to endurance. And this, this is already some of the theme, right? Because we know that the Hebrews are tempted to turn away from Jesus and turn to other things because the, the walking with Jesus is getting hard. And they're now invited to endure in this race. And really, I, I think race is helpful, particularly if you think about it as a, as a race, that really the goal is to finish the race, right? Uh, just a few weeks ago, we, we um, I don't know if you follow sailing. I didn't. I just learned about this recently. There was, it's a race called the Golden Globe Race. And it first occurred in 1968, and there were nine contestants that were racing around the world, and they had four stops that were just check-in stops with other nearby boats. But they, they, weren't a not, they were not allowed to refuel uh, they, or, or to resupply. They were uh, just stops to check in. So race around the world. Uh, you have to have all your stuff with you before you go. And they revived the race in 2018, and then they did another one that just finished a few weeks ago. And when they revived it, they said, this is racing like it's 1968. So you have all of the technology except for the satellite phone that you use and only in a case of emergency when you're kind of bailing on the race. And they raced around the world. And and in 1968, when it happened, it was just the goal was to get to the end, right? One person did. Uh, And then this year, out of 16, three people made it to the end. And... The, the hope, the whole time, it's, it, yes, they celebrated uh, Kristen New Schaefer, who won, but really, they celebrated everybody who finished the race, right? Like, that was the goal. And there was certainly endurance. It was an eight-month race. Uh, that, that was a race of endurance. I think this helpful picture of what we're invited into, even if we haven't competed in races, whether they be on foot or bike or whatever it might be. We are invited into a race, and the race goal is, is this finish, which we're going to actually talk about what that looks like uh, here in a moment. Um, but I, I think we, we do need this picture of endurance, and certainly everybody involved in the Golden Globe race needed endurance over those months, right? As we're invited into this endurance, I think it's helpful for us from this passage to see three points this morning. The race goal the race obstacles, and the race encouragements. The race goal, the race obstacles, and the race encouragements. Let me pray. Lord, I pray that you would allow this time to be an encouragement to us. Through your word, challenge us and encourage us in the race to which you have called us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So this race is set before us. And there is, I think, it's, it's sometimes I contemplate, do, we, uh, do I end with Jesus? Do I start with Jesus? Do, um, Jesus is better. He's all over everything, right? And so uh, just give away the end. The goal of the race is Jesus. Uh, you know, sometimes the Sunday school answer uh, is correct. Um, the, the, the goal is him. Because here, here's the reality is, is that we all have a goal that we're moving toward in our lives. But if, if, we don't, if we don't think about what that is, it's just something that we don't recognize or think about. We, we all want, and there's some sense in which we all pursue happiness, whether you're a follower of Jesus or reject him completely or are curious somewhere in between. We're all moving toward what sometimes we might describe as happiness, but we would maybe define that in different ways. Uh, we would put parentheses around it. But maybe it would actually be more helpful to say that what we're all pursuing, uh, whether we recognize it or not, is flourishing, human flourishing, fulfillment, right? And, uh, and again, if you're a follower of Jesus, there's an invitation to see that defined in a particular way, in a particular way that, that God is continually telling us through his word is how we were created, that he, because he created us, knows what human flourishing is so that the race is described in chapter 12, verse 1, is the one that is set before us. And that's contrary to, incredibly contrary to our culture that would say that really that you create the life that you want, that you define the life that you want, and that you, through freedom, find the thing that is uh, most helpful for you. And I, I used a quote last week. I, I should have written it down again, but it was from one of the guys in Shark Tank. It's basically like, you may lose your family and you may uh, lose any uh, opportunity to do uh, you know, things for, that are like free time and hobbies and that kind of thing. But the ultimate goal is that you succeed and make a lot of money so that you can then be free to do what you want. And it doesn't really make sense because you're you're saying you, you actually don't then have the freedom to have relationships and family and commitments and those kind of things. Should have looked at the quote again. But, um, you know, trust me. Go, go back and listen to that sermon. Uh, but I, I, do, I do have another quote. Uh, and this is from this, uh, the Sports Illustrated swimsuit editor. Uh, just recently, a lot of controversy over multiple covers. And this is what the editor says. There's no theme to this year's issue. Rather, there is a vision, a sentiment, a hope that women can live in a world where they, where they feel no limitations internally or externally. And so whether or, not you, you are, whether or not you include the specific controversies that he's dealing with, include them or not, this statement is ridiculous. <laughs> let, me, let me just say that again. That women, and this is true of our culture too, that would say this of men as well, can live in a world where they feel no limitations internally or externally. The fact is that we are created beings and we are limited by all kinds of things in all kinds of ways. And part of the race that is set before us is recognizing the limits that we have and recognizing that as created beings, they are good and beautiful for us. I've recommended before, but I'll recommend it again. There's a book, You're Only Human, by Kelly Capick. And it is a really good book. 
And it talks about the fact that we are limited as creatures and that we have opportunity to actually rejoice in that. When we recognize that and step into that, that it actually helps us to pursue human flourishing. And if we don't recognize that, we're just fooling ourselves. And, uh, and we are incredibly mistaken. We, we have limits. There is a race that is set before us. And that can be bound by all kinds of things. And, and, the, and the scripture does say, this, this is what I'm calling you to. I'm the one who created you, and I'm inviting you into something actually good and beautiful. The thing that is described as better. It's already been referenced by Dan this morning that Jesus is better. And throughout Hebrews, we've seen there's a better high priest. There's a better covenant. There's a better sacrifice. That what Jesus has brought to the table that we're invited into This idea of verse 40, something better, something that we're called to to be made perfect, which hasn't happened yet for these these people of faith mentioned uh, in verses 32 to the end of chapter 11. That was yet to come for them, but it was this perfection that was better, that promise to be fulfilled. But we see that it's not yet fulfilled until Jesus comes. So that we, we see that they were not made perfect Apart from us, verse 40, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they, that is these Old Testament characters, should not be made perfect. This is a reminder, context here, that it wasn't, it was apart, it didn't happen apart from them. That is because they were there when Jesus came. That it's apart from Jesus. And that the us refers to the New Testament believers who have Jesus. That Jesus is that thing that brings perfection. And these Old Testament characters, these people that lived and followed Jesus and had faith, that it wasn't actually fulfilled. The faith that they had, the promises they were given, weren't fulfilled until Jesus came. That Jesus is ultimately that goal. So that even as they hoped, in verse 35, to rise again to a better life, we know that that isn't, even that promise itself isn't really given full light until we see that Jesus is the one who conquered death, who rose from the dead. And, and that, that resurrection is even better than the one that they had experienced. So we'll go back to verse 35. That they have this experience of women received back their dead by resurrection. And there's some accounts of resurrection in the Old Testament. But when it goes on to talk about folks being tortured and refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life, the resurrection at the second half of this verse is a greater resurrection. What do I mean by that? The resurrection that's referenced in the first half, the women received back their dead, they were raised to a mortal life. They eventually died. But the promise that we find in Jesus is that there's a resurrection that is coming. Here we remember on this last Sunday of Easter in the church calendar, this last Easter Sunday, that Jesus has promised a resurrection for you and for me that is to come, a better life that is eternal and future. That is the hope that is to come. And that is the way that Jesus, who offers himself for us, gives us that thing that even the Old Testament saints were looking toward, and that was relationship with the Creator. Again and again, we talk about Jesus And this sacrificial system that was set up uh, that we could find in Leviticus and other parts of the Old Testament that the Hebrew Christians are tempted to turn back to, that even that was about relationship with the Lord. The Lord who said, I will be your God and you will be my people. I want relationship with you. 
The thing that is better about Jesus is he offers a fuller picture and experience of that relationship with him. It is on offer in a different way so that we now, ourselves, have access to God. The one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, chapter 2, verse 2. This is the one who reigns and rules now in his resurrected body. He currently sits at the right hand of the throne of God. It's an amazing promise. The ascension happened. Jesus rose to sit at the right hand of the throne of God. And we're, we, we, we do some with the church calendar. We, we didn't celebrate Ascension Day, but it, it was um, somebody actually asked me last night uh, if I knew when Ascension Day was. And I think that I had seen that it was recently because I was looking to remind myself of when Easter actually ends, the, the Easter season, right? But it's not something really on my radar, but it is an incredible promise that, that Jesus is right now having ascended to sit at the right hand of the throne of God, reigning and ruling over all things, fulfilling promises for us. We've seen, as we've looked through Hebrews, interceding for us before the throne of God. We, we have access to him. And so we rejoice that this goal of relationship with the Lord is offered to us in Jesus. And I think that it's helpful for us in the midst of that to ask, if I think about my life and where it's headed, what, how, how would I define what the goal is? Because often if, if we're asked, what, what's your goal in life? It, it centers around job or family or where we want to live, or what we want to do, those kind of things, right? And, and what we're invited into is to say that there is one goal. One goal. And that it is Jesus. And that everything else centers, that doesn't mean that we're not involved in other things, right? That doesn't mean that we don't have relationships and jobs. But all of that is, is lived and decisions are made in reference to Jesus. That's what we're invited into. To follow Jesus is that. It's to say that this is the goal of every single thing that we do. The race that is set before us is to pursue and experience relationship with our creator in Jesus Christ. There's a recognition within that, that there are, with that being our goal, that there are race obstacles, that there are obstacles in the midst of our walking with him. And, and we would be... We would miss something significant if we didn't recognize that reality. Again and again, we're reminded that the Hebrews are experiencing all kinds of obstacles. And they've already experienced the plundering of their property. The plundering of their property because they followed Jesus. And in just a few verses, we're going to see again what I've already referenced multiple times. Is that they haven't yet experienced or gotten to the point of death in their race in their effort to avoid sin, in the midst of experiencing persecution. They haven't yet experienced death, but the implication is that they, they might. And because they're experiencing things that are really, really difficult, they are in this moment of saying, I think I might turn away from Jesus into something else. For them, it was the sacrificial system. That's not what it is for us, but we are regularly tempted to turn to other things for all kinds of reasons, because life is hard. And it's particularly hard in the scope of the race and walking with Jesus if, if we mistakenly think that he promised us that it's going to go great all the time. 
Because that's not at all the, the promise. And so as we look at these Old Testament figures, verse 32 and following here, we're reminded of that. And we go really quickly through these few, like he, he, he's gone into depth with Abraham and Sarah and with Moses and, uh, and, and some of the other things that happened in the Old Testament. But he, he rushes through uh, the judges and into kings and then beyond that to the prophets. There is centuries covered in these few verses, right, where he talks about the things that, that have happened. And, and it's helpful to note the mix of things happening here. I mean, one, I just want to recognize that some of the characters here, particularly maybe uh, Jephthah in particular, I mean, these are some super sketchy, has some super sketchy stuff in their past, right? God doesn't use, he never uses perfect people. He never uses people that he says, be just like this person. There's not anybody in the Bible that fits that category except for Jesus because everybody's a mess. And some of them really here are a mess. And yet there's this promise of they have faith. And what do they experience through that faith? And this, is, this covers, I think, not only the people specifically listed here. I mean, prophets is a broad category as, as well. They're mentioned in verse 32. But these are some of the things they experience. They, through faith, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. I mean, these are awesome things that are mentioned here, right? And, uh, and, and there are times, just to be clear, with walking with Jesus offers things to rejoice. And, and many of us could get up here and testify to the Lord's work in our lives and be excited and celebrate the things that God has done. Beautiful things. Maybe it was our own conversion story of, of coming to faith, of experiencing him, of coming to an appreciation of the church, to coming to an appreciation of the gospel of grace. Or, there are all kinds of things that we could testify to, good and beautiful things. Or you've seen other people come to faith. Or you've seen movements of the church grow. Or, or you know, we, we celebrate in just a few months that we've been a church for 10 years. In September, we're going to be celebrating 10 years, and that is an opportunity to rejoice and celebrate. And, and we can look back, and we can have those moments where we see the Lord has, has worked, and beautiful things that God has done by faith. Then there's this significant switch, and it is um, in the middle of verse 35. Right after it's talked about receiving back their dead by resurrection... Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. It, this is not a, not a pretty picture, right? And, and I think it's, it's important to note that these things are right next to one another because really all of these characters experienced probably some of both and some more than others. And we might be in a moment right now, I, I pray that many of us are in a moment of celebrating and rejoicing in what God has done and is doing. But many of us are in these moments of the, the second half seems to fit more, right? And sometimes we experience that in the same week. I've talked about this in the past, but even looking at this last week with, I mean, it, Tim Keller, great influence 
Like that, that lo- feels a, a loss for sure. It is, it is incredibly sad. Um, and uh, that is a thing to mourn this, this week, to feel the heaviness of that. And, and at the same time, yesterday at a graduation party and a wedding, things to, to celebrate and rejoice in and, and God's goodness in, in the lives of, of friends, right? That, that, that's regularly the way that we experience these things is mixed uh, within one another. And, and we don't know, I mean, we, we don't know, we should expect this, right? We should expect this. We're not promised this, this is how it's going to look. We, we don't know uh, exactly. The promise isn't, it's always gonna be amazing. It's always gonna be this list of first things, right? It's always gonna be the escaping from the sword, I mean, notice that in the, in the first half, the list is they, they escaped the sword, and the second half is they died by the sword. We, we don't know exactly how it's going to happen, but there is a promise, and the promise is that, that God is good, that he has a race set before us, that he knows what is best for us, he invites us into it, and that he also has promised us something that comes beyond the worst thing that comes to us, the, the ultimate enemy, which is death. There's a promise beyond that. There, there has to be this recognition of the obstacles that come. If we're going to endure, we have to expect the obstacles. And some of it comes in just that mess, but, but it gets a little bit more uh, at some of the obstacles in, in verse 1 of chapter 12. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. So the picture of the race, when, when racers would, would race uh, at, at this time, they wouldn't show up with armor on, right? They, they would show up with almost nothing on when they, when they would run a race because things would, would hinder them, right? If you, if you wore something heavy, uh, if you wore a big cloak, you're not going to be able to run fast, right? So we throw off every weight. And, and the, the picture here, I think, is not necessarily because we get to sin next. It's, it's something that hinders us from following Jesus. And that could be something really good. And that's a little bit of the way idolatry and sin does work ultimately, is we take good things. And that could be relationship with another person. That could be doing our job well. And the moment that that becomes the main thing, the thing that actually drives us, the thing that is actually our goal, it becomes a weight. And, and yes, there's lots of wisdom that we need because there are times that we give our attention to a, a person, a relationship, and that could be a spouse or a child or a friend or a coworker. There's times we give uh, our attention to our job and attention to our yards and our homes and all these kind of things, right? So it's not a, we, don't, we just, we're, we're praying all the time, we're, we're monks, that's the only way to go. No, this is a, a, a call to recognize that everything we do comes in light of who Jesus is in relationship with him and that my relationship and the way that I relate to others and the way that I do my job and the, all, of the, I, all that I do is centered around who Jesus is in relationship with him. So we're invited into that to throw off the weight and to throw off the sin, to throw off the sin that clings so tightly. And we've already talked about, I mean, there's a great focus throughout scripture that that reality that there are things that we're tempted to, and sometimes they're, 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 they're great. They're tempting because they're pleasurable or they're uh, appealing, right? This is, this is a norm. 
And we're invited away from that. And we're invited to say, no, Jesus is the thing that's most important. And so that I would be willing to confess my sin. Whether it be Sunday morning, that we would find friends that we would confess to, that we would find friends, that we would be so open to, to throwing these weights off and avoiding the sin that we would have people in our lives who would say, hey, when you see mess in my life, tell me about it. That's super easy. We love the idea of doing that. But there, there's this call to run a race and to say, I, I'm going to leave behind anything that might hinder me from Jesus. Because that goal is the great goal. So we do well to recognize that there are obstacles, but then we find these great encouragements. So in the midst of seeking Jesus, that great race goal, in the midst of the obstacles, we find these encouragements, these race encouragements. And, and the first is the cloud of witnesses. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside the weight and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What, what's going on with this cloud of witnesses? These these Old Testament saints who have, have gone before, and uh, what does it mean that they're a cloud of witnesses? There's some picture of them like cheering for us, right? Great job, go, you can, you can do it. And I, I think some of that's appropriate. And I, I like the, the idea of, again, the, the goal being to finish the race, right? This is one of the things all three of my children have run cross-country at, at Heron. And one of the things that I love about the cross-country culture is that everybody's cheering for everybody, I mean, yes, absolutely, there are those uh, at the front of the race that um, people care or are engaged with uh, who, who wins, right? But there is, n- nobody's like, go my team and, and you guys, you stink, right? Like, that doesn't happen at a cross. It happens at basketball games and it happens with, uh, all, you know, you, get, you also have the ref to yell at. So none of that's going on here, right? It's just everybody is super encouraging and, and even maybe more particularly so for those that are toward the end, Right? People really cheer for them. It's really a fun uh, atmosphere. It's something I've enjoyed. Um, and so there's some sense of them doing that. But there's, there's more to it than just the go, you can do it, you can, you can finish. They're witnessing to the truth of who God is and his goodness and where faith leads us. They're, they're telling us and reminding us of what is true about Jesus, who is better. this better promise, this better covenant this better relationship that is on offer, they're telling us about that truth. That's why we go back to these stories where we remember that they're testifying to the truth of who God is, of his faithfulness to us. One of the things that was fascinating, Kristen Neuschaefer was the one who won the Golden Globe race this year, so just finished at the end of April. Two more people finished, the last one just a couple of weeks ago, or actually nine days ago. Uh, but Kristen was, was interviewed about it, and she said she never felt alone. She knew her friends were tracking her progress on the race's website. That gave her peace. Uh, and, and I think there's a picture there of the way that we operate as, as, as human beings, and the Scripture gives us an even deeper picture when it talks about prayer and the community that we have in the body of Christ, connected through him, the one who intercedes for us, the one who reigns and rules now and is in relationship with us. There's even a deeper picture of that than is going on here, but we, we resonate with that. We get that. And even beyond that, she, she took like 100 books with her, and you got to take it all at the beginning, right? She took like 100 books with her, and one of them was written by a Finnish sailor who had competed in 2018, and it was about his odyssey. You can imagine the sense of like, oh, she's reading about somebody who has done this who can say it's doable. Like, you can do this. 
And here's what I experienced, right? That's some of what we have here. Those saying God is good and he is able and he is bringing us forward in the race and encouraging us to, to move on. Because ultimately that greatest encouragement, beyond encouragement, really the power comes from Jesus himself, from the goal himself. Verse 2, as we're running the race, looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the founder, some versions say author, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, the mess, the brokenness that might come, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now reigning and ruling that God who sits at the right hand of the throne of God. He is the one who founded our faith. He gave us our faith. I'll read uh, Ephesians 2, this well-known passage about the grace of God. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Even the faith is a gift of God. That is, it is his work. He's the one who founded it. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. It is his work in our lives. He is the one who has given us faith. It is a gift to us. But not only does he give it to us, not only has he made us alive when we were dead. Earlier in, in those, that chapter, he talks about the fact that we're dead in our trespasses and sins, and he made us alive. That is a work that only he can do. He makes us alive. He gives us the faith. He's founded us. And sometimes we think, yes, by grace I've been saved. But then we think, well, now I've got to build my faith up, and I've got to really work hard to make that happen. And uh, that's what it's about, right? No, it's, he's not only the founder of our faith, he's the perfecter of our faith. He strengthens us and allows us to grow in our faith. It causes us to grow even. Galatians 3, verse 3, the, the Galatian Christians had come to, to faith. They had trusted in the grace of God, but then they had begun to turn back and think, no, I, I've got to do these certain things. And for them, it was, uh, again, things we're not tempted to do, but to move back partly to the Jewish faith and do some of the things there. And, and this is what Paul says to them in Galatians 3, 3. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, that is by the spirit's work and by his grace, are you now being perfected by the flesh, by your own power, by your own strength? And he's very clearly saying that would be foolish because the spirit that brought you grace, that founded your faith, he's the one who perfects it. This is what you are invited into, to trust in this Jesus who meets us to give us faith, strengthen our faith, and one day perfect it in the resurrection. This is the goal that we pursue. And so what does it look like for us to pursue that? There are all kinds of ways in which we pursue him. Worship is a significant part of that. And we have the daily prayer plans out there, um, any kind of Bible reading plan. I actually want to use a, a, an application that I think applies here that I meant to apply last year is there was this reference to Jericho, right? As they, they walked around in faith, Jericho, that the walls fell down and, and some describe this as a dramatized prayer, the walking that they do. So here's my encouragement. Find one person and go on a prayer walk. And a prayer walk doesn't have to be a big group making a big show. You can just walk. You don't even have to close your eyes. You can just look like you're talking to one another and pray. And you can be praying 
for the neighborhood. You could be praying for one another. It's just an easy, beautiful way. Get outside as the weather warms up. Be with one another. Pray together. We, we also uh, recognize as a church that none of this happens without the work of God. And so in two weeks, Dan was talking about, we're going to gather for 30 minutes before church, 940 to 1010, and we're going to pray together. And it's going to be a directed, focused prayer time on praying for the gospel and the kingdom to move forward. Um, and so encourage you to come and trust God to recognize that he's the founder and perfecter of our faith, that he's invited us into relationship with him, relationship with one another that is centered on relationship with him. It all fits together, right? So that we might experience him, that we might experience him. We experience it through one another. We experience it uh, through the spirit and through prayer. This is the direction that we had as individuals, as a church, as a people. And the promise is that he's there and he's the one who does it. Let's pray.